The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Eight minutes after eight. Thanks for staying with us this morning. And if you've just joined us, welcome to the show. Now, um, more and more civil servants are resigning to cash out their retirement savings. The move uh, follows pension reform rumors from March uh, last year that members of the fund would no longer be entitled to a lump sum as part of a proposed pension regime. Now, some economists argue that there are various reasons why consumers opt to cash out their retirement savings, the most common being over-indebtedness, short-term gratification, and a lack of knowledge as to other options that may be available. On the former date this morning, we asked, what impact does cashing in early on retirement savings have on the economy? And our producer, Ronald Peary, took to the streets of Johannesburg yesterday to find out how people plan for retirement to avoid cashing in their pension funds. You know, like the things are going in this country, the saving is a bit difficult. Cost of living is too high at the moment, like rental and groceries. If the government cut down like petrol, they bring it down. If grocery also comes down with the same price, down like petrol is down, then it will be much easier to save under 200 rand aside every month. You know, so after 10, 15 years, it will make a difference in people's life. For me, I don't save, man. Serious. Yeah. Like... I almost spend my whole salary, if, especially when you get to the last few days of the month. Yo, brah. Like I left with nothing. Yeah, but, yeah, so normally I don't save me. I just use like almost all of my salary. I don't have an actual savings for retirement, only a savings account which I keep for 20 days. Well, what I do to grab about my savings is that I have a, a financial plan with uh, Liberty Life. So I save a certain amount of money every month just for my retirement plan. And I also just save an amount with my bank. I don't have enough money now to save because uh, I'm a single parent and I must pay rent and I pay water and I had to buy electricity. And I've got a grandchild. The father is not working. And and myself, I had to take care of my grandchild and my daughter because my daughter is not working. So only if my daughter will find the job, there's a time that I can save. You open a savings account and then you put it, you put money in and you forget about that money. You forget. So that money accumulates and accumulates and you put it in like a, a thing that, um, yeah, that accumulates, man. What, what do they call it? Then you just eat the profit. Uh, I'm currently actually I'm saving. There are some few savings that I did open uh, with APSA and Old Mutual actually. They're just taking an amount of about 300 rand on my accounts and then it's the old mutual one and then the ups one is 200 rand. It's just for my life savings actually and I've got some insurances also. I will take a certain portion of my salary and then invest it in say a unit trust maybe or in shares in a big public company. I will go around saving by not by compromising and not going on holidays as often as I would like to and sort of keeping that money for holidays and putting it in a bank account so that it grows and I guess the problem I've been I'm not informed. And that's what uh, some of uh, the people that Ronald met on the streets of Johannesburg yesterday had to say about uh, cashing in early on their retirement savings. And for more on this, uh, we join on the line now by Ian Krushanks, who is Chief Economist at the South African Institute for Race Relations. Thanks for speaking to us this morning, Ian. Good morning, yes. 
uh, interesting uh, just listening to your to your interviews with people on the street. And uh, you know, I guess thought my initial reaction is to say how what a short term view so many people uh, seem to have, and and this is just condemning themselves working forever if possible, or to con- uh, having to put up with much uh, uh, lower standards of living in the long-term future. Mm. And uh, we also have Michael Prince-Lew with us, and he's the head of uh, Best Practice in Research and Product Development Division at Alexander Forbes. Thanks for your time as well, Michael. Good morning, Sakina, and good morning to the listeners. No, it is very clear, like, as the last person on that insert said, that seemingly we don't have sufficient education around exactly what these retirement savings are intended for and how we ought to treat them. Absolutely. I think that that's a key point. Um, education is critical, but it is an extremely hard thing to, to do and to get right. Um, people are myopic by nature and are short-sighted, um, you know, the instant uh, gratification. And it's not always consumerism, but it, that's a far more tangible thing than retirement savings, you know, 20 or 30 years out and what that would actually mean for them at that point in time. And so I agree with um, Ian saying, you know, people are going to find themselves in uh, desperate times later on, but it's quite hard for them to realize now what that actually, what that actually means. But what we're also seeing, um, Ian, is that government employees are the ones who are seemingly cashing in in huge numbers. But this is because of some uncertainty that has developed, especially over the last year or so. Ian? Yes. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize you were addressing me in that case. Um, yes, it, it's an, it's, 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 there's no certainty as to where this rumor started, but there is no doubt in my mind, that, it is, uh, that it's, it's, it's falsely based and that uh, people may be being misled, but I think it's all about the fact that there's rather a bird in the hand. In other words, having something to spend now, to, to actually go on holiday, to buy a car, to, to whatever, or to pay existing debts, rather than to accumulate funds over the longer term. You know, there is nothing better than having uh, a building up a capital sum on which interest is reinvested, which is the basis of a pension fund or a provident fund. And, you know, in the long run, uh, that's the only way to, to have a, a productive saving for the future. And these people are throwing it away. They're throwing away their future uh, uh, contentment. But are they doing so willfully, Ian? Is this not just, again, going back to the earlier point that people are simply not informed, they're not educated, and therefore they don't know, and they are seeing this as, you know, the only surefire way of them getting their hands on their money? Perhaps that may be partially so. It may also be the fact that... uh, um, they are so indebted, and this is a big problem, that they don't see a way out rather than go to a debt counsellor and, and make a, a longer-term plan. Uh, I, I think that, you know, also the employers must be partially to blame because when they see this trend developing, they should surely say, hey, this is an unacceptable development. Uh, you know, we're going to actually lose employers as they find it easier to flip from job to job uh, and with, without, just for a very short-term benefit. And, and I think that perhaps government, as the employer in this case, should, uh, should provide better education, better training in how, how their own employees should look after their own future well-being. So now, it's not only 
It's not only the, 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 the individual that is to blame here. Mm. Some of the uh, more common reasons that have been put forward, um, Michael, is that people are over-indebted. Uh, there's the issue of short-term gratification and, of course, the lack of knowledge that we've already spoken about. But uh, just looking at over-indebtedness and short-term gratification, here's you know a pot of money that is sitting there. It is essentially yours. You don't have to go and take a loan out from the bank to, for example, pay your debt um, you know, to uh, pay off your mortgage or anything like that. So, obviously, some people would be looking at it from that perspective. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, Sakina. And I think there are, I mean, there are times and ways to use your, your pension money that may make more sense than, than others. So, you know, for example, somebody who's worked for two years and they're 24 years old and, and they cash out, that's not going to have a catastrophic effect on their pensions. Obviously, if they stayed invested, you know, they would benefit from that compound interest. But as soon as you're into your early 30s, you know, any withdrawals at that point start having quite a big impact in, because it really cuts down your, your, your savings period. And I think one of the other problems that we have is that it seems to be an all or nothing. So somebody may have some debt, but they will cash out their entire pension fund to settle some of the debt. Um, and then, you know, goodness knows what happens to the rest of the money. But the reality is they may not have needed all that money. And they may not be aware that they, in fact, can take only a small portion mm-hmm. of it and preserve the balance of that. It's not, a, it's not an all or nothing um, at any particular point. And I think that's also a major, a major effect. We seem to cash out and then and the preservation rates are really low. I mean, less than 10 percent of members would actually preserve their benefits when, when moving jobs. So we're not talking about a sort of half of members not preserving. We're talking about a, a, a large chunk of members not preserving. But, Michael, what are some of the risks that people ought to know and take into cognizance when they are thinking about cashing in early? I think the biggest one is the impact that it actually has on their expected retirement benefit. And that's where I think service providers, employers uh, have a role to play in terms of Again, you brought up the education aspect, but really making it tangible for people to understand what the impact of that decision is, whether that be online calculators for those who are literate in that sense, whether that be written communication to two members every year explaining to them what would happen should they actually cash out and what, could be, what would be the effect on their expected pension. Um, and I think it's really you've got, to, you've got to put it into rands and cents. It's no good putting it into percentages and, and projections that people don't understand. You've got to say, mm. you know, you are currently earning 10,000 rand a month. If you cash this out, the best pension you could expect one day is 2,000 rand a month. Could you live off that? And I think when, when you start getting into those sort of terms, it starts becoming real for people. The issue of taxation as well is one that is often overlooked. People don't factor that in. Agreed, agreed. And the impact of tax. So retirement vehicles, any sort of retirement pension or provident fund um, is essentially a, a tax haven, if you like. You pay no tax on any of the investment returns in that. And that's extremely powerful because it, it actually just aids the compounding effect. The other thing is that you invest very cheaply within pension and provident funds. Um, a lot of your, your listeners earlier that you were um, playing the clip, the, the audio clips, um, they were talking about savings for a rainy day. They were savings in, in savings accounts. Um, you know, savings accounts don't pay interest that is above inflation. They're essentially becoming poorer all the time. You need to invest, as some of your listeners said, into shares and things like that. But buying unit trust is a way more expensive option in terms of savings than putting money into a retirement fund. They typically at institutional um, investment rates. And, and so really that's the most efficient mechanism to actually save money over the long term.
Well, this morning on the Forum at 8, we are asking you the question, what impact does cashing in early uh, your retirement saving have on the economy? And we'd love to hear from you. 891 is the number to dial. You can also tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM or to my personal Twitter account at Sakina Kamwendo. Alternatively, send us an SMS to the number 34701. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 22 minutes after 8. On the forum this morning, we are asking you, what is the impact? What do you think uh, the impact of cashing in early on retirement savings is on the economy? And obviously, I'd love to hear your views. If you have perhaps cashed in earlier, um, are you regretting that? What did you do with the money? And what drove you essentially to do that? And helping us through uh, this discussion this morning is Ian uh, Quickshank, who is Chief Economist at the South African Institute of Race Relations. And we also have with us Michael Prinsloo, who's head of best practice in the research and product development division at Alexander Forbes. 891 is the number to dial. I just want to take a quick look at uh, some of the questions coming through here on our social media networks. Uh, Dumisani Nklengetwa says resignation amount is quite bigger than retirement, uh, death, etc. Thus, employees, especially teachers, influence each other to resign. And, and, and there's something to that, um, uh, Ian, because someone was telling me uh, previously that teachers especially would resign and then they would reapply for those very jobs. So they'd resign just to get their hands on the money and then reapply. Yes, but then they are, they are getting away their long-term savings advantage. You know, they're starting from a new point and this new point can be considerably further along their total working life life. And, uh, you know, if you, if, if you just have to consider that if you invest 100 rand and you're reinvesting at 10%, it's being, uh, earning 10% per annum, okay, that's a pretty good rate. But in seven years, you could double your money. Uh, they're losing that advantage. They're losing the ability to retire comfortably in the longer term and, and condemning themselves to working forever and not being able to support the family the way they would want to in, 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 in that longer term. So I think it's, it's a question of education, and if the, if the employees don't understand this, there should be a far more rigorous uh, uh, there should be a far more rigorous setup where employers are, are compelled to to have a cooling down period before they can pay pay out, and in that p- period, I think there should be uh, uh, conversations with the employees to make sure that they understand how they are taking away from their ability to retire comfortably. I think in South Africa, it's something like 10% of the population can retire in reasonable comfort compared to you know, the total number of, of people employed at retirement date. So it's, it's a crying need, I think, perhaps actually to alter the law itself to make it very difficult or impossible to take short-term benefits from pension funds. And that's a scary statistic, 10% only. Are you part of that 10% or are you part of the 90% who will have to make some drastic t- uh, changes in your retirement? The question we're asking, what impact does cashing in early on retirement savings have on the economy? And before I go to the lines, maybe I could just put that question to you, more broadly speaking, on the effect on the economy of people cashing in early on their retirement savings, Michael. 
Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing is you would think that it's about um, savings rates and you know whether we've got enough money to invest in infrastructure and, and, and other things. And I mean, I'm sure there is a partial effect there, but one of the main functions of a retirement system and retirement funds is actually providing social protection. I mean, ultimately, social protection is something we all require, um, and there's different ways of implementing that. And the way that it's been implemented here is partially a government social grant and partially um, a privatized pension system, um, and that's fine. But the social protection is critical, and what that allows people to do, uh, it actually allows people to take entrepreneurial risk, for example, where if you don't have that floor to actually protect you, you're not able to take the same kinds of risks. So it's not just about savings rates and investment in the economy, I mean, there are impacts there as well, but really more fundamental to me is, is the social protection um, and that, that provides a growth opportunity for the economy in terms of entrepreneurship, for example. And, you know, to the extent that everybody starts cashing out of the system, you know, we start losing that opportunity. Mm. And then, and that of course is cause for concern. And we'll be taking your calls now. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero eight. And Khopoto uh, is calling us from Belleville. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Sakina, and your panel. Thank you for such a, a very important uh, subject this morning. Uh, Sakina, um, the impact on um, the economy uh, by virtue of people uh, cashing out early uh, or just withdrawing early from um, retirement funds, um, w- w- the, the greatest one for me at the moment is uh, overburdening the social security system uh, in that uh, People who would not have had to go to SASA uh, to ask for a government grant uh, by, by, by using their retirement funds now uh, before retirement, uh, it means that at retirement, when they have tried to uh, squash the debt that is pinching them hard right now, mm-hmm. by the time they retire, they have to now go and knock on SASA's door to ask uh, for money that is not necessarily destined for them having had the opportunity to have their own retirement. But nonetheless, um, there is an overburdening on the, or on the social security system. And by and large, I also notice uh, that um, in the long run, uh, government spending might have to now be dedicated to taking care of people uh, instead of taking care of some of the goals um, that government should have. Um, and so the economy then might have to tilt to one side uh, in, in an eternal negative. Then the, 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 the last point I want to make is um, on uh, civil servants that have been uh, resigning under this lie, we, 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 we all know it's a lie and we've known from the beginning um, enough messages have, have been proliferated to that effect. I would like to call upon um, unions, uh, particularly um, labor unions, to become proactive. Uh, why aren't they um, uh, partnering with uh, financial planners in communities to say, please um, school our people. We don't have the resources, but school our people. Tell them what it actually entails to be a member of the GEPF. Tell them what it actually entails to have a retirement savings um, that is vested in your employer and your personal contribution. So they are not doing that. Mm. And I don't think there's a program by union to actually school their people. That is why civil servants, poor civil servants, are becoming victims of such lies because people aren't proactive. They are looking at other agendas and the very immediate agendas that they should be looking at, they aren't looking at. 
Thank you so much, Khoputso. Uh, and we'll get a response for that after the news break. But we'd love to hear from you. Tell us about your experience. Have you cashed in early? Why? What did you use the money on? Is it something that you regret now? Um, is there some advice that you know you can share with the rest of uh, our listeners and myself, of course, included? Do tell us. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero eight. That's the number to dial. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Thank you, Ashraf. It's 26 minutes before 9. Uh, you're back on the forum at 8. And this morning we are asking, what impact does cashing in early on retirement savings have on the economy? And I've got quite a number of questions here coming through uh, via our social media networks. And I'll read some of those. But we're also taking your calls on 891 And our guest this morning helping us through this is uh, Michael Prince-Lew, who is Head of Best Practice in the Research and Product Development Division at Alexander Forbes. And also Ian Quickshank, who is a chief economist at the South African Institute for Race Relations. Let's go back to the lines. Uh, first, Anonymous is calling from Johannesburg. Good morning. Hi, hi, Sakina. Welcome. Hi, ma'am. Um, I just have a question for one of your guests. Then, um, the question is: um, if if one obviously divorces, and uh, in this case, um, then the partner is entitled to half of the amount of the provident fund. And question is, what then uh, uh, happens to the compound interest, and how does it affect one in terms of recovering at, at, at the end of their retirement? And how can one then recover from that impact, obviously, uh, after that uh, cashment of half of the amount? Okay, uh, stay on the line there, Anonymous. Just uh, don't run away for the moment. Michael? The question correctly, it was around uh, cashing out or uh, uh, 50% sharing of pension interest on divorce. The divorce, yes, and, 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 and the interest that and, accrues and, and all of that. Yeah. Michael? Okay, we are seemingly having a few problems there. Um, perhaps, uh, Ian, you'd like to take a bite at that? Well, I'm sorry that I went offline as well just for a moment. Can you just give me a quick summary of the question? Sure. Anonymous wants to know uh, what happens in the case of a divorce where uh, the partner is, um, you know, um, entitled to half of his uh, provident fund. What about the compound interest? How does that work? Uh, Okay. I'm unsure of that, but I think that in a case like that, it is essential to go to a registered financial advisor uh, and, and to get uh, to, to get absolute certainty on that, it could also be a bank or a, a legal expert, but not to try and do it on one's own. I really think that that is a very much a specialist uh, a, a piece of advice to get that sort of tax information. But whatever it is, I think don't rush into it. And it, uh, it, it's all the same, is that the longer one can stall this, the longer one can leave the funds invested, the better for both parties, in fact. Mm. And, um, Michael, you'd like to add anything to that? Sakina, hi, sorry, the, the line dropped there, so I'm not sure what, what, uh, what happened. But just, uh, just in terms of the divorce, um, if I can go back to that briefly, uh, it, what happens there is essentially there can be a sharing of, of the interest. But, you know, any money that's taken out of your, your retirement fund, um, at any point for whatever reason, essentially places a, an obligation on you to try and replace that money to get up to the sort of living standard that you would like in retirement. And so the divorce has the same impact as actually cashing in the money, the discussion that we've been having this morning. Um, it's got a fairly serious impact, and you basically need to relook at your financial plan, and it may require you to actually make up lost time, as it were, in terms of contributing extra. Anonymous, I hope uh, you are answered there. 
Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you, Sakina. Thank you so much. And um, speaking um, of, you know, interest, here's an SMS from Aaron. Aaron wants to know, why are we not getting interest from our pension money that the PIC is investing? Ian? Oh, but they are getting interest. You know, it is accumulating. I think that the uh, the contributor here may be expecting to have that out every month. That is not the basis of, of a pension fund or provident fund. The basis is long-term investment where the income that is earned on the capital sum accumulating either from the employee or from the employer's contribution should, should, should be reinvested over time, and that will then mean better benefits, stronger benefits in the longer run. All right. Sorry. Yeah, Sakina, yes, Michael? Uh, Sakina, sorry. Just uh, interesting, uh, the, the comment was around the PRC not providing interest. Mm. I mean, the PRC is obviously the, the Public Investment Corporation, and it invests a large, one of its major, um, let's call it stakeholders, is the, the Government Employees Pension Fund, the GEPF. But the GEPF itself is actually a defined benefit fund, and so the benefits are determined by reference to a, a formula based on salaries and service and, and, and other things, rather than what the actual investment returns were underlying that. But the PRC definitely are investing the money in a wide range of asset classes to generate, uh, to generate returns. And, of course, the members are getting the interest shared amongst them. Well, the, the members are, are receiving the benefit um, in terms of you know, their contributions not having to, to increase to actually fund those benefits. If the PRC was doing a, a really poor job and getting poor investment returns, in order to provide the promised benefits by the, by the GEPF, um, essentially contributions would have to increase, both contributions from the membership as well as contributions from the state. And, and obviously that then comes from, from taxpayer money. So certainly taxpayers have an interest in terms of you know, making sure that the PRC are, are doing a good job. And I think the PRC you know, are certainly investing the money correctly and, and, and generating those returns in that fund. And I think one of the Sakina, messages... May I make that, a point? Uh, b- sorry, Sakina. Yes, May yeah. I just make a point to add on there? Just going back to, to right about the start of the interview, you, you interviewed several individuals and they said, oh, you know, we have our own savings plan. There is no way that an individual savings plan can match the sort of performance that Michael was just mentioned, the Government Employees Pension Fund and the, the Public Investment Commissioner, they are dealing in bulk funds and therefore in every way, you know, bigger is better. They get better deals. They can share the costs across a far more broader scale. And, and I think that it's very important to know that these big funds actually are probably getting the best advantage, long-term uh, investment advantage for, for the uh, beneficiaries. I think one of the themes that's emerging from the messages that I'm reading as we go along is that people are saying they don't have the money to save. So, you know, it's literally a hand-to-mouth sort of existence, and I think which is part of the reason why this becomes an attractive option once people know that there is money sitting somewhere. But I want to go back to the lines very quickly, 891 Anonymous in Pretoria, good morning. Good morning, Fakina. I'm sorry to deviate a little bit from what you are saying, but it has to do with the cashing of the pension. Mm-hmm. I'm having two scenarios here, and I'm not sure whether you guys will be able to respond to this. Uh, most of the teachers, uh, some of them, uh, are resigning. Let's say they are principals, deputy principals. That, that rank, they resign, and they get their pension funds. Now, thereafter, and then they come back. Now, what I want to understand, when they come back, why are they paid as principals? Why is the system still paying them as principals? That is what uh, uh, attracts people to, to, to go out and, and to come back. 
Now, I just want to understand, I'm not sure whether uh, your, your guests will be able to respond to that, to say, why are they paid on the scale as if they are still principals while they are now at post level one uh, position? And uh, the, 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 we have situations where you find people are principals and they resign, they got their pensions, and they come back. The whole year, a person is still paid as a principal. Now come, for example, 2015, then the person is told that, no, 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 it's wrong. You were not supposed to be paid as a principal. You must bring back the what, about 100,000 or about 90,000 and so on. Now, wh- wh- why, why, is it, why is it like that? I just, I just want to understand. Is there a policy to say when you go out and when you come back, as a principal or deputy, you are still going to be paid at that level. Because it's like, this is a gray area. There's no, there's no, the majority of teachers who I know who left, they are, when they come back, they are still paid at that particular notch. Then okay. All right. Thanks for that, Anonymous. Let's go to Jeff in Durban. Good morning, Jeff. Morning, Sakina, and to your guests. Um, I have a question. I belong to the Metal Industries Pension Fund, or Provident Fund, sorry, which we contribute, the employer contributes. But one of my questions is, is, why do we not get statements from this company or corporation? And the second thing is, we've just managed to force them to give us a statement, but their statements are always a year in arrears. And the one out of the because the contributions are nothing like what has been paid into the fund. And um, we're just not getting any feedback or anything. I personally have even been to their, um, to their offices to try and request information, and they've always just get it. As I say, in the last five years, mm-hmm. I've had two statements, and the most current one is, is a complete joke. And, and, and who's this again, Jeff? The Metal Industries Provident Fund. Metal Industries Provident Fund. Yeah, and this is a Durban-based... Um, well, I'm from Durban, and I've been to regional offices, and as I say, I can't even get any answers or questions. But even when I phone Joburg, they said, I only do their statements a year in arrears. Uh, I didn't get Okay. Because we've got a financial plan to try and force them, but... My statement is totally incorrect because my contributions are nothing like what, what they're stating on the statement. Okay, Jeff, that line deteriorating, so um, I'll pose the yeah. question and, and the you can listen on the radio. If you're not satisfied, uh, then do call back or send us an SMS. Let's go to Fran in Joba. Good morning, Fran. Yes, hi. Um, when you're married in community of property, half of your pension belongs to your spouse. This is not a decision to be made by one person. This is a decision that's got to be made by two people. Okay. All right. Got you there, Fran. Absolutely. Um, and and, and, and I'll, we'll come back to that. But I get what Fran is saying. Uh, John in Cape Town, good morning. Uh, thank you for taking my call. The problem is this uh, issue is very confusing. People on the ground in a shop floor level, school, wherever, they don't understand it properly because it's political, economical and social impact. The FSB, they are not doing their job. The Reserve Bank is not doing their job. And the unions are actually dismal uh, even before 94, before uh, or whatever was forming. And that is the crux of the matter. When you work in a country, you contribute. Now, the other people on the shop floor see, hey, we're making furniture or goods, whatever, and the goods are going out. I mean, it's not standing in, in the warehouse or whatever. But when we ask for increases, what, what are we getting? Is that increase justified equal so I can go for a month on my wages? That, that is the reality of, of it. And people don't trust, they haven't got that commitment and trust on 
government or on the private sector companies and that. Because we see the bosses are there, but they increase in the ordinary person in the st- on the shop for increase is way behind. I mean, look at Sasa. Mm-hmm. Sasa shouldn't be there. Uh, post office was paying out pensions all throughout so even before 1994. And there is a lot of post office that have closing down and jobs have gone down to the drain. Simple okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, John in Cape Town. Let's go to KZN Mtunzini uh, uh, to Tlachwayo. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Hi. I, hi. I don't hear anybody, you know, saying anything about these scavengers who are called trustees, who are fleecing these funds like crazy, you know. You come across these, you know, uh, uh, things in the press from time to time. And, and there doesn't appear to be anything really done about that situation. The trustees, you say? Yes, they, they are placing these funds like crazy, Sakina. Okay. I'll get Thank some you. comment from our guest this morning. Let me just run through some of the messages coming through as well. This one says, I cashed my pension. It was 680000 I got 580000 out. My bond balance was halved. I'd rather save now than for the future. Peter says, will my provident fund be taxed in case where I'm retrenched and have to cash out? Maybe we can give a quick answer to Peter there, uh, Michael. Absolutely. Um, so it will be taxed. It will be taxed as a retirement benefit, uh, in which case the first 500000 of any retrenchment benefit, if you haven't taken retrenchment benefits before, would be tax-free, and then the balance is taxed at a scale, starting at 18%, moving to 27 and eventually 36 over over a particular amount. So, I mean, it would definitely be taxed if any lump sum was taken. Obviously, if you decided to preserve the retrenchment benefit, it's not to say that you had to take it in cash. If you preserved it, you put it into a preservation, fund or you eventually moved it to a new employer fund, then you wouldn't pay tax on that. So you only pay tax on any lump sums that you actually pull out. Here's another question. When will the lump sum payment be stopped? At what date? Um, Ian? Well, I, I must say that I'm not aware of the, uh, the exact technicality there, um, so I can't answer that question. You have any idea about that, Michael? So the lump sum payment on withdrawal or, re, or resignation, if you like, um, is still a proposal that Treasury had put out, and that's what we call compulsory preservation, and it really is nothing more than a proposal, and I think they recognize that in the long term it's going to be a very difficult proposal to, to push through. What was proposed last year was that provident funds would only be able to pay a portion of the benefit in cash and pay out the balance of it in an annuity or a pension in the same way that pension funds currently do, and that was due to come in effect from the 1st of March this year. Mm. And the irony is that that actually didn't apply to the GEPF at all. So that's, that's, that change to provident funds and provident fund lump sums actually didn't apply to the GEPF because the GEPF is regulated under its own, its own act. But they were, they were supposed to come in from the 1st of March 2015, but with all the, the actions towards the back end of last year, and there was a lot of unhappiness from, from Labour, there were some concerns from industry in terms of system developments being ready um, and just the communication around these particular changes. So those changes have actually been put on hold in the Income Tax Act to the 1st of March next year. And if they can't reach consensus on these changes in NEDLAC by June or July this year, then we may see that pushed out even further.
And thanks to Colin who sends in an SMS saying that it's uh, uh, happening on the 1st of March as well. And then uh, here are a few comments. Uh, this one says, I've been a saver since childhood and now in my 70s, I have a reasonable nest egg, which I want safe, hence fixed deposits. But the tax on interest is outrageous since the savings came from taxed earnings. And this is unfair. Um, another one says, companies forcing staff to opt for retirement at 55 years of age, uh, you are losing your bonus and interest. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe you can make sense of that. I'm not quite aware, uh, sure what that means. And then also Jack Dahl says, um, we are not left an option as our retirement funds will be spent by politicians purchasing golf, GTIs and to pay for their weddings. Another one says, uh, will my kids who are over 21 get my money when I pass on? They are my beneficiaries. Um, that's another question. Maybe we can just... Uh, uh, hone in there quickly, Michael. Sure. Um, in terms of the beneficiaries, so any monies that are held within a retirement fund, if somebody is a member of that fund and they pass away, the money has to be distributed by the trustees under something called Section 37C. But ultimately, it requires the trustees to determine who the beneficiaries are, who the dependents are, what's the extent of their dependency, and then make a, an equitable distribution. So not an equal distribution, an equitable distribution. That's often the cause of a lot of contention. Um, most funds would require you to fill out something called a nomination of beneficiary form and a lot of members think that that actually forces the trustees to pay it out in a particular way but you know it's really just a guideline to the trustees to assist them in their task ultimately the trustees would need to make a decision and then distribute the monies accordingly um, so it does cause a lot of consternation but the monies would in, in effect be paid to one or more beneficiaries but it's not as determined by the member it's as determined by um, the trustees. So your pension fund monies are not distributed strictly in accordance with a will, for example. And I'm trying to run through as many of uh, these messages as I can. And of course, still, we have to come back and answer the questions that were posed by our callers as well. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. And this morning we are talking about uh, the impact of cashing in early on retirement savings on our economy. And just running through some of those messages very briefly, Tando MN says the biggest consequence is that very few people will afford to maintain their standard of living in retirement. Maligan Machia says there's a high level of skepticism towards financial planning among black people because to most it's to do with insurance scams. Mangaliso Ngobo says government pension admin and unions uh, should have done a better job educating their members. Sad to see them looking for jobs after cashing in. And then Odiz says, I cashed in earlier to get 10% uh, for my mortgage deposit. I'm not regretting it, but maybe I will in future. I lost five years of savings. Mamelo Pomane says, we need to take advantage of the power of compound interest. Savings culture and discipline is non-existent in our society. And then uh, JBZ Kali says, what is the tax implication uh, between resigning and retiring early, say age 55, and retiring at the age of 60? And our uh, market analyst Clive Ramatibela says, our people have been misinformed because advisors are more concerned about their commissions rather than protecting the client. And uh, teachers are the most vulnerable. They take out a lot of funeral policies, confusing them for investment vehicles. And Connie says, cash in 
in, pay off some debt, invest the rest and, uh, and start all over again. It's the only way to get financially stable I think that's according to Connie. But I want us, I see we've got Irvin in uh, Middleburg. We're going to take Irvin very briefly because I want us to respond to the callers uh, that actually called earlier. Irvin, good morning. Hi, Sakina. I've heard the, uh, you, you, the student saying that if you are retrenched and your overall package is 580000 it's going to be tax exempted. I want clarity on that one. All right. Thank you so much, Irvin. Michael, let me start with you. Um, it's not uh, 580,000, Sakina. It's that the the first 500,000 um, taken as a lump sum would be exempt from tax, and thereafter the benefit would be taxed. So if it was 580,000, the first 500,000 would be tax exempt, and the next 80,000 would be taxed. That's assuming, of course, that you haven't been retrenched in the past, because this is an allowance or an exemption that you only receive once in your in your lifetime. So um, if you have used the whole 500,000 from, a, say, a previous retrenchment, if you were unlucky enough, um, then you wouldn't get it again. It would be taxed from the first round. But essentially, that's the exemption. And then, and, 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 uh, just to add on to that, there's a question here from Letlochonolo wants to know, if you retire on a government pension scheme, uh, there's a talk that you will only get a third of your money and the rest through monthly installments. But when you pass on or even within a month of your retirement, your money is forfeited to the state and your dependents don't get anything. Do you know anything about that? I admit I don't know anything about that. I mean, there is a proposal um, in some government proposal and really proposal papers as opposed to any sort of legislation that they would like to bring the government employees pension fund or some of the public funds, because it's not the only public fund, um, in line with what's happening in the private sector in terms of ensuring that people take a lump sum or at least a partial lump sum, but also then annuitize for the future. So that, in other words, they don't, they don't spend the lump sum within a year or two and then rely on the state old age pension, which is one of the points, uh, one of your earlier callers made. Um, but that is really a proposal at this stage. That's the one aspect of it. The other aspect is in terms of no benefits due to, to, to dependence, I mean, if you had use the money to actually purchase a pension or you were getting a pension from the fund and you passed away, there would be a pension that continued to your, to your dependents um, at some level. Mm. I want to go to the calls uh, that we took earlier. Sachwayo uh, spoke about trustees and the fact that they were fleecing, according to him, these funds. And John spoke about a trust deficit and uh, how confusing all of this legislation is to uh, the members. Ian? Yes, you know, uh, it, it is confusing because of lack of education or inadequate education. I just want to say one thing, slightly off the point there, and that is it seems to me there's a lot of doubt, of distrust even, in the trustees of the funds uh, who are managing those the pension funds. And if there is this, there is a registrar of pension and provident funds. There is an ombudsman. And I think that uh, beneficiaries of these funds should take it upon themselves to follow this up and say, look, go to the authorities, the correct authorities, and say, look, we're unhappy with the, the performance of these trustees. Can it be looked into? And it will be. There's a responsibility for them to do that. They will fulfill it. And I think that may just add and may improve the educational aspect of this. And uh, Jeff uh, spoke about uh, him not getting statements and statements always being in arrears. And he has uh, tried to get in touch with the metals industry, Provident Fund in Durban and in Joburg without much luck. What can you advise him there, Michael? 
Um, yeah, I obviously can't speak on behalf of the Metal Industries Fund, but there really is an obligation on trustees. I mean, there is an obligation on them to issue a benefit statement uh, every single year. Um, but these things do go wrong at times in, in various places. So it may or may not be the fund. It may be the distribution channels that they're utilizing. Um, so he really should take it up with the fund. If he's not getting satisfactory answers, then I agree with Ian that he should really raise that to the pension funds adjudicator, which is really the place to, to raise that. It's a free service to mess so you also shouldn't pay necessarily to lodge those complaints, and it will be investigated, and the adjudicator will take that up with the fund or the fund's administrator, because there's also an appointed administrator in that process who would then be responsible for actually producing those statements. They are often in arrears. I mean, the other issue that he raised was uh, arrears. Um, it depends on how that fund is actually set up. It shouldn't be three years in arrears, but they're often not up to the minutes because it takes some time to generate these statements and, and produce them. Um, and the last point I think that he made was, um, that the statement it reflected contributions less than what he yes, that was incorrect. Yeah, and and that could also be completely legitimate. I mean, I'm not saying that it is in this particular case, but it, it may be completely legitimate. Members often think that the full contributions are utilised for retirement savings. But when, in fact, some of the contributions are actually directed towards providing some of the other benefits that are associated to funds, like death benefits, disability benefits, funeral benefits, things that we haven't actually discussed today, but some of the monies is allocated towards the insurance premiums for those other protections that are in place for members. And obviously, there's also investment and, and administration costs that are paid along the way, although that shouldn't be the bulk of it. Um, the bulk of it should still be going to retirement savings, but it won't be an exact match to the contributions that were actually paid or deducted from, from salaries. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this morning. Tandega, I'll actually get an answer for you from Michael and I'll give it to you tomorrow morning uh, at the beginning of the show uh, to your question. Sylvia, thank you so much. Tipa and Mokopane, Lethokonolo and everybody else who contributed this morning. Um, if you want to see some of the other comments, do go to our webpage www.safm.co.za. And thanks to our guest this morning, um, Michael Prinsloo, who's Head of Best Practice in the Research and Product Development Division at Alexander Forbes, as well as Ian Krushanks, who is Chief Economist at the South African Institute for Race Relations. And as always, you've been fantastic.